0: Hello, my name is Will Harris, and I'm here for the Poetry Review podcast. We're celebrating the spring 2020 issue and I have Nick McCoher with me. Before you hear from Nick, just a little bit about him. Nick was shortlisted for the 2017 Felix Dennis Prize for Best First Collection, the Forward Prize, for his debut, Kingdom of Gravity. He's a Kaveh Karnam graduate fellow, Malaika's Kitchen fellow, and Complete Works alumni. He won the 2015 Brunel International African Poetry Prize and was the 2016 winner of the Toy Derikot and Cornelius E.D. chapbook prize for his pamphlet Resurrection Man. His poems have appeared in The New York Times, The Poetry Review, The Rialto, Poetry London, Tri-Quarterly Review, Boston Review, Kalaloo, and Wasafiri. Born in Uganda, Nick Makoha fled the country with his mother as a result of the civil war during the Idi Amin dictatorship. He's lived in Kenya, Saudi Arabia, and currently in London. He's presented his work at many international festivals and events and toured for the British Council in Finland, Czech Republic, the US and the Netherlands, though not, I imagine, recently. And he's going to read, to start us off, the first of two poems he has in the Spring Poetry Review. Hi, this is um,
1: Codex One. In this story of falling, a cigarette is brought back to life. The body inhales. The sky is full of night. Soon it will be dry season and the hills will rust. But tonight, the night keeps moving, the way that birds do towards migration. What does living do for any of us? The winds have found some clouds to play with as trees rehearse the gesture of surrender. Do birds think that cities are our version of the natural world? Have you seen a city on fire? Flames throwing themselves at buildings the way the sea throws itself on the rocks. The furnace is the city's costume. This world, a desperate element. I suffer the same shame of asking what happens in the voids. What shape does the soul take when the roots vanish? The visible making itself known by the invisible. Rain falls through the trees, as the dark brick of our old lives is the pitch of the moment.
0: Thanks Nick, it's really amazing to hear it out loud. I just thought it would be good to know, to start us off, the poem's called Codex One, not as a spoiler, but the second is called Codex Two. I wonder, could you tell us a bit more about the sequence? I assume it's, it's part of a sequence, or what larger body of work it comes from.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, well, there are many things I'm looking at. One is I'm looking at Leonardo da Vinci, like he wrote the codexes. He talked about flight. And one of the things I'm looking at is um, how I have had to flee from one country to another, how my usual mode of travel is flight. The thing I'm studying uh, now at my PhD is this thing of the metric experience of being a resident alien, being from one place, but also coming from another. And so the codex was kind of my trying to understand myself. What is the codex of flight? What is the codex of being a resident alien? What is the codex of the medic? So I guess I'm trying to, for myself, decode that, if that makes sense. I'm a superhero buff. So I, I remember watching, uh, as while I was thinking about this, I, was, I think I was watching Superman and in the, the latest version. And in, in there, he they talk about the codex. So the codex of all existence and I'm like, maybe if I was to understand myself, my codices, I could, you know, then be able to say, ah, oh, this is what it is to be Nick, to be a Ugandan, to be British, to be African, to be a man, to be a husband, to be a father. So all of this is the codex.
0: Because when I think of codex, I think of maybe the Bible or like old myths and the way that they formed a codex because they put together all these different stories and they stitch them together. But they're all these different ones which kind of, contradict each other you know all these stories about like the early life of jesus and which ones they include in the codex which ones they take out and put in other codex which makes me think of, of superhero stories all the different kinds of origin stories that's
1: why exactly that exactly the origin of something or the or the understanding of something so it's like how do you understand something that doesn't truly make sense you know i'm really trying to understand i guess myself like we never really look at the self we don't even know what we look like in the mirror properly we have a version of ourself that isn't really true so if I was to get the codex of me, then I maybe I could see myself. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Oh yeah, no, that completely makes sense. So it's kind of like a more open-ended way of writing your story, your your life.
1: Yeah, but in a in a much more I guess forensic way. Even though on some level you always are the hero of your own story, but I, I hope I'm not the hero. I'm not the protagonist. It's a discovery, you know?
0: This is reminding your first book, Kingdom of Gravity, is structured around airports. The first poem is um, Mombasa, Mombasa. Yeah, that's the one I looked up because you've got the um, they're all the acronyms for different airports, Mombasa Airport, Entebbe International. At the end of Entebbe International, actually, you say, I find it hard not being a hero, which kind of fits into this idea of like heroes. Are you a hero? You're not a hero. In a sense, you're making yourself the hero because you're the one writing about it. But also you're really ambivalent about that throughout the book about centering yourself in these stories because they're also not about you in so many ways. They're about everyone else.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's true. I mean, it's weird. I just, just this morning, I was listening to an interview by Inouye Ellams. And when he was talking about his identity, about being a, he only became black when he came here, you know, but a lot of the stories of who we I say I am, not that it's true, but in some ways they have to kind of filter through a white experience. In their world, I'm not the hero. Uh, If I was, if we were thinking of, Heart of Darkness, I'm the villain. I'm the savage. My skin color puts me as the savage. The hero is a white body. So it's like, how do I tell these heroic stories when it's being read through a lens of, ah, oh, they're not like us. Like I'm trying to bring that story so that we actually get a more rounded understanding of human existence. I'm not interested in, I mean, I'm interested in my race. I get that. But I'm actually interested in knowing the whole story as opposed to a one-sided story.
0: That's one of the most powerful things about your writing to me, the way it has this sense of intimacy and largeness, the way you're constantly sliding between I and we, or in a poem like Beatitude, the way you use the second person, kind of brings me on to something I wanted to talk about with you, which that poem made me think of. You say at the beginning of it, in this story of falling. We've been kind of talking about story and on the back of your first book, uh, Terence Hayes writes about your amazing debut and he says that your poems animate in the space between story and song, which actually links to one of your poems about another airport, CDG, where you say sad is the man who asks for a story and can't come up with one. Later while lying awake, my tongue will search for a song. I kind of wonder what you think about that distinction, story and song, or how it relates to this maybe.
1: I don't know. I, I mean, uh, I, I guess I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to come out and say, I, I believe in a higher existence. So I believe in God and I believe in, you know, in his creation of the world, that he didn't just say create the world. There was a musicality to it. There was a rhythm to it. Even when you hear a creation story and how the moon turns up and how the sun turns up, it's like there's this sequence, this oscillating between things. And even as I observe my son, like he loves music. It's ridiculous. You can't get him to rehearse his drum lessons, but he'll listen to every song. There are times I'll play a song in the car that I'll think this is of my time. And he's singing the words, you know, and I'm like, how the hell do you know these lines? That is the power of song. And I believe it's that ability for him to latch on to words that he doesn't even fully understand. Just going back to this thing about Codex is that I think music, There's a lot more information in music than we realize. You know, sometimes we listen to a song and we're depressed. We wonder, why does it make us feel good? Or we listen to a song and it reminds us why we love the people we love or why we miss our childhood. Because it's doing something that our emotions cannot do. It's acting as as the white road repository. I do believe in music in more ways than one. I mean, in many ways, maybe I'm a failed musician or, or for want of a better word, I'm a musician of words. I think the best poets are musicians, but we're just listening to a different scale.
0: Maybe that would be a good segue into your second poem. So this was Codex 2. When my father lost his job,
1: it was a way to make the other thing a beginning. The sit-ins and marches with helicopters twitching at 20 frames a second. My father had been many things, not just a face behind a thought traveling through the free world. Once, he was a glass mountain. Once, he was a catastrophe separating day from night. Once, when we were at the edge of town and he could no longer keep the silence, he used the same face he spoke with to cry. I had a small non-speaking part.
0: I love that poem. And it does feel like what we're saying so close, pitch between song and story. You've got that structure once, 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 but also these kind of short lines, the internal rhymes, the rhythms, the other thing, a beginning, sit-ins. I remember once hanging out with, uh, I don't know, how, I was interviewing Terence, I think, but I, I hang
1: out with him and I, I realise we we share similar traits. So, for example, we listen to loads of music. I listen to music all the time, but a lot of times I'll listen to music like in different settings, so say when I'm running, when I'm writing, I also, I mean, you, you must know this as a poet. There's the early kind of zone of writing, and then there's the deeper zone of writing. Like when you're in and you can no longer be with the world. In that zone, the only thing that can come in from the world is music. And sometimes I'll listen to instrumentals because I don't even want language. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to use language to write language. I'm trying to listen to music to write language.
0: I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Do you listen to music when you write? Does the music kind of help you reach that place? Yeah, not all the time. I mean, sometimes I'm, I might be,
1: like today I might go for a walk and I'm listening to music, but some of the songs are great lyrics. Some of them have great rhythms, but all of them have, it's this sound I'm listening to. Like it's I love that part of the song, but what that part of the song is doing is trying to teach me to say something that I wouldn't ordinarily say. Like I was listening to the other day to Michael Jackson, and then he goes, um, you wanna be starting something, you gotta be starting something. You wanna be starting something, you gotta be starting something. I ah, get over, yeah yeah, it's loaded under, yeah, yeah, you gotta get in the middle, yeah yeah. Now what I realize is it's actually about relationship. The pain is thunder. That to me is language. Like I don't know what he's saying you know he's saying, but the, the rhythm, it's actually like it sounds like a trumpet to me.
0: Da 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 da
1: if I can find what I'm trying to say when I hear that, then I'll write it down. This is what he was trying to say. But whenever I hear him saying it, it makes me want to say this. Now, am I willing to respond? And I and I think the best poets are responding to the world. You're not trying to just express yourself. You're like, oh, this is what I have to say. And sometimes you don't have an
0: utterance. Sometimes you do. That's so interesting. But then in Codex 2, what's kind of amazing is that you have this kind of run of of repetition with once, once, and then and this amazing, beautiful moment where your father uses the same face he spoke with to cry. And then you kind of undercut the music. In a way, it almost feels like the band cuts out at the end when you have that final line. I had a small non-speaking part. It's so dry and kind of sad and unmusical in a way, that last line. I think
1: there's a distinction between being in the music and observing it. I think the best part of being a poet is seeing what people don't see. But you can't describe it to them. Like, I think a lot of poets get that. Did you you just see that? But somehow I'm trying to capture that. So I'm trying to capture this experience that sometimes even I don't realise, I don't realise I saw it. The best things are observed without knowing, you know? So,
0: yeah. I was rereading your book before this. And that reminds me of a line from A View of the Kadipo Valley, where you say, where their feet once walked, my eyes now go. It is an old fashioned dance like the tango. The idea of the poet's eye going places where you can't, but also kind of, there's something kind of voyeuristic about it, but also it's like a dance. You know, you talked about travel earlier, airports flying, this idea that your eyes can go there, but your feet can't, there's a lot in it. So we were talking about story and song, and one thing that struck me, actually, which kind of links to all this stuff about music, I love that poem of yours, King of Myth. And I love one line in particular, the voice of their guns kept the violence from escaping. And that reminded me of Terence Hayes, actually, the way you've got voice and violence so close together, the way violence contains the word voice, which reminds me of those anagram poems from Hip Logic.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any, well, black poet, but black male poet, particularly in England, if you're really trying to find yourself, work through your identity, person who has that vulnerability of scale is, is Terence Hayes. I read a lot of his work, even when I didn't fully understand it. And I don't think all poetry is meant to be understood, A, on first reading, but B, I think poems are expansive. They grow in meaning. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, that's funny. We're talking about music, but I realise now, listening to you, gosh, music is a lot more involved in what I do than I think. So even that one, it was to end on a musical song. That was the purpose of the whole piece. But I, it was almost like the American... Um, gymnast is who's won like so many awards her landings are, are immaculate i was testing myself kind of like how terence tests himself he makes new forms the test was how can you land on a song without it sounding cliche so it's like i had to land on a song and you wouldn't even know that it was coming and then i would land and out and you'd hear the song because you'd start singing the song in your head and now the poem is no longer in my head it is in yours I don't know why I made that up, but that was what I was trying to do. And I kept failing at it. And then eventually I got some version of it. Then I realized, actually, I could make this into a sonnet. It would be the little clue to remind you that actually there's a song coming. There's a song coming, but you don't even know it. But I was like, if I can tell you this in a narrative way, you won't even see the song coming. You won't even know it. It's rhyming. But I I didn't realize it was doing. I'm not that clever. But that's what I realized I was trying to do now that I've done it. If that makes sense. No, it
0: does. Well, that's the thing about poems. The poem is always cleverer than you are. Totally. You plural. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. yeah. You're the Simone Biles of of poetry. It's the lyrics to um, Take a Chance on Me by ABBA that come in. Yes. And again, kind of like with Codex 2, it it both completes and undercuts the poem because it just comes from somewhere else. It's so surprising, but right.
1: But I think that's what the poem is. It is a breeding ground for the impossible. Where poetry fails is when it tries to, I mean, you can talk about anything, but what it it can do is it has the ability to bring all things to the page. I think what we do as human beings, we filter it through what we think it should do, but actually a poem can do anything.
0: Maybe something to end on that tries to tie some of the things together. I was going to ask you about myth, King of Myth, and maybe myth as a way of holding a lot of a lot of that together, all the things you're trying to contain, all the stories, all the the voices, the people, whether you experience that as a kind of responsibility. You talked earlier about the white gaze, how you only feel yourself as other, as black in in Europe. You know, the arrival in Charles de Gaulle Airport in Kingdom of Gravity is quite a powerful moment. Okay, I am mean, this kind of question is ballooning, but myth is the main thing. I wonder if you see that as a way of containing it or is expressing your your role as a poet?
1: I think myth is a vital tool in a poet's arsenal. It can be abused, but what it lends itself to is it is a a coded language. We understand that there is things that have happened that are worth recording. Because a myth is that. It's like, we need to tell this again. We need to hear it again. We need to understand this again. Even titling that poem, The King of Myth, ultimately, it's about somebody who would be forgotten unless we mythologize them. In many ways, you know, I was trying to bring the Ugandan story to an important place. You know, not because Ugandans are important, but because in the general scheme of the telling of stories, the African story can often be sidelined. And then I wanted to go into a subset. I wanted to go to East Africa and another subset. I wanted to go to Uganda, another subset. I wanted to go to a rebel leader, which often we don't even speak about. But if I can tell you the story about a rebel leader's death, not even their life. That was the big jump for me. It's like, I won't even tell you about their life. We, we all have lives, but I will tell you about how they died. And in light of what we're talking about now, you know, with in the period of time that we are, you know, what I was looking at was the the damage of the black body, how it's easily lost. This was actually saying, look, how do we acknowledge the black body in its death? Myth is a very powerful element. It's almost like seasoning, like, um, what's a powerful seasoning? Like turmeric. If you're a person who knows how to cook, You should have that in, you know, or or saffron or something like that. You should have it in your arsenal, but you can't always use it. It doesn't go with everything, but when you do use it, it lets you know it's there.
0: Which final, final thought, coming back to that last line of Codex 2, I had a small non-speaking part. It's like myth gives you a way to be there and not be there. And in your poems, which is what's so powerful, is that you kind of sideline yourself. You're there and not there at the same time in this... Like in a lot of Western, you know, Anglophone confessional poetry, it's always about me, me. It's like the I, I experienced this, I witnessed this, I saw this. But your poetry, even though it's a poetry of witness in some ways, it's not about you. So It doesn't centre you in any way. I mean, I I am there. I've realised I've got to put myself there because that's important. But
1: more importantly, I think I think like a filmmaker. So I write poems like a filmmaker. So if I am the director, I'm not interested in you knowing that I'm the director. I'm interested in taking you into the story. So sometimes you'll notice that I'm there by the way I move the camera. Other times you won't notice I'm there because you're so fixed on the image or the vista. My point is, how do I take you through what I'm seeing? Is what I, you know, so I think like a cameraman or or a sound man, a lighting person. So, you know, the reason I love theater is because I'm just trying to learn how to write a poem. And the reason I love film is I'm trying to learn how to write a poem. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to engage all my emotions. I'm a very emotional person, like everything moves me. Everything, everything moves me. But a lot of times we live in a world where we're not allowed to show that things move us. So I'm trying to find ways to allow the emotion to exist without being overwhelming, but just, you know, sometimes you watch something like, wow, that's amazing. You know, wow, wow, did you, you know, like, it seems cliche sometimes just to, to be ecstatic But I actually want to get that. Like, what is that? How do I describe that without having to use the word ecstatic? Or how do I describe sadness without having to use it? There's a way a camera can move through time. And you're like, you know what? I was moved by what I saw. Or I was moved by what I felt.
0: That's a really great way of describing it, of describing the poet's role, and also in particular the way your poems move and work. Maybe we could now close with a classic from Kingdom of Gravity.
1: I'm going to give you from Kingdom of Gravity, Bird in Flames, which kind of has that kind of camera eye and that sense of myth. And I, I hope some kind of sense of music as well. So, Bird in Flames. A man in his beard talks to another man after a swig of a dark bottle. His lips leak out a hmm. In the first death, I'm a bird. Darting from an oncoming pickup truck under starlight as I head for the grass. A static quiet. The pickup drives down the road. Two men mention genocide. A third struggles to confess that he has spoken to the tribe and it stirred a conflict. Earlier, the third man was blindfolded. A hand resting at the bottleneck of his throat. A knife at his wrists. Others surrounded him. In a circle under a low purple light. Discomfort dripped from his mouth. They were looking for a reaction. The moment was disguised as a get-together, hence the beer, meat and chapatis and women's voices outside rising over music. The third man's arms are crossed as a deep voice enters the discussion and asks him, Truthfully, Bishop, where are the arms? The night has an Indian heat. Silence glues the third man to his seat. The voice is set at a table. He leans in to the bishop's ear, rolls his sleeve and invites him to join him once he has told him where the guns are. The guns. The guns. The bishop replies, I can live without your formality, without these courtesies. What meal have you prepared that I have not eaten? The voice kicks his chair out from under him, back in the pickup. The bodies are not moving. No side glances. They pass a school. A settlement, a store, a trading post up in the hills, but there is no conversation. But notice the bird. The car's headlights are like fireflies. Since the moment has passed, I can tell you, there was no bird. But the men were real, and the table full of food. The only thing missing are the bullets. A second death. This is how nations die over there. When I say nation, I mean tribe. When I say tribe, I mean people. And when I say over there... I mean here.